0: Last week, I I mentioned that the best part of the Christmas season is, to me, the music. Someone last week yelled out cookies, um, which is also a very valid answer, but uh, I did not write a talk about cookies, so I had nowhere to go with that uh, other than be hungry. Um, There's no other season that has its own music the way that Christmas does, Uh, both within the church and, and out in popular culture at large. Uh, We have this great collection of Christmas music that we don't listen to at any other time, except for right now. And, you know, with this great collection of seasonal music, there are a lot of beautiful things and there are some really not so great things. Last week we talked about, um, all I want for Christmas is you, which is not a terrible song. It's just overplayed. Uh, but like there are songs like Santa baby. Come on. Why? Uh, most pop Christmas songs are about having a good time at Christmas. <laughs> like if you really strip them down, that's what they're about. Um, but they're often like scenes and images and like these beautiful things that make you feel nostalgic and excited and happy. And then Paul McCartney was like, why bother with any of that? Let's just literally sing a song saying we're having fun at Christmas over and over and over again. And proceeded to write the exquisitely vapid song, Wonderful Christmas Time," uh, which I cannot stand. <laughs> Um, And don't even get me started on Coldplay Christmas Lights. Um, I'm just kidding. I actually do like that song. Coldplay is my wife's favorite band, and I give her a hard time about it always. Um, One song that I am very thankful to have not heard this year. Does that say Coldplay? Of course it does. (laughs) Oh, and it's Christmas Lights. Perfect. (laughs) I actually do like that song. I didn't know that you were going to wear that. I didn't even know you had that. I'm not surprised. Uh, anyway, one song that I'm very thankful to have not heard this year is that Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas song, which is terrible. I don't know why that's a thing. I don't know why it's on the radio. No one enjoys that, um, that I know of. So if you do, let me know, because I would I would like to understand why, why that's a thing. So there, there's not great songs, but there are also many incredible um, transcendent Christmas songs. I mentioned last week that uh, Joy to the World is my absolute favorite. Stoked that we sang it tonight. I think okuma Come o Come kuma is also incredible. Sang that tonight. Uh, oh, Holy Night. <laughs> sang that tonight. Man, we're just knocking them all out. Uh, Silent Night. I look forward to that every year at the end of our Christmas Eve service. Some of the most beautiful music ever written. Uh, if you're looking for some Christmas music and, and you use Spotify, uh, you can check out the songs that we play around here during Christmas. Uh, if you uh, go to tnl.org advent-songs, um, that will give you our Advent playlist, which also includes an EP that we put out last year during Advent that uh, I think still holds up. So if you're interested in some of the Christmas music that we play around here, go check that out. You're welcome. Anyway, the music of Advent to the music of Christmas is amazing. And the Bible contains a few of the very first Advent and Christmas songs ever recorded. Last week, we looked at Mary's song, the Magnificat. Tonight, we're looking at Zechariah's song, which is called the Benedictus. Now, who is Zechariah? You might be wondering, and you wouldn't be alone. Um, Not super well known, but Zechariah is a priest who is married to Mary's elderly cousin named Elizabeth. So he's sort of like Elizabeth's cousin-in-law, if that's a thing. There's probably a name for that. Um, Both Zechariah and Elizabeth are old, and they are unable to have children. But like Mary, Elizabeth is miraculously pregnant with Zechariah's son. Similarly, like Mary, Zechariah is visited by an angel telling him that Elizabeth will give birth to his son. Uh, And during this encounter, Zechariah loses his ability to speak which we're going to get more into that story later on. But eventually it comes time for Zechariah and Elizabeth's son to be born, and that's where we're picking up this story in Luke, the first chapter of Luke, starting at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, He is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, I agree with my wife. Unheard of. His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Here's the song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. This song that Zechariah sings is a lot of things. Uh, It contains tons of allusions back to pivotal moments in Israel's history. Uh, It is chock full of beautiful, hopeful imagery of Christ and also of John the Baptist, whom Zechariah's son will grow up to be known as. Uh, There's a lot that we could say about this song. But what I wanna focus on tonight is how this is a song of new beginnings. This is a song about uh, this not being the end of the story. This is a song of second chances. You see, Zechariah was an incredibly good man who failed. He failed in the most transcendent moment of his life. To see what I mean, we're going to go back and pick up and look at the beginning of the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, starting at the very beginning of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5 which says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. He was the very first priest. All of the priests are said to have most... He starts the priesthood, (laughs) okay? So they're saying Zechariah is a priest and he's married to the daughter of a priest. That's kind of a big deal. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Luke does not sugarcoat that at all. Um, So like I said, this is a priest who is married to the daughter of a priest, which was very rare, but seen as like very ideal. This is a woman who would understand the demands that were on her husband because she grew up with the same demands being on her father. It also meant that she was very familiar with the customs and laws that needed to be kept. These were basically, what what we just read is trying to convey that these are two of the best people that you could ever meet. And, sadly, they can't conceive and are now too old to do so, which should remind us of many, many, many of the stories of the heroes of the Old Testament. Like, uh, just a couple of months ago, we we looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, who were too old to conceive and miraculously had a son named Isaac. Same thing happens to Isaac. Same things happen to his son, Jacob. This is a recurring theme throughout the Old Testament, and that should be uh, alarm bells going off in our head. Picking back up. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, He was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so um, at this time in Israel's history, they have more priests than they need. And so priests sort of go on this like um, shift system. They're broken up into divisions. And so your division, it sort of becomes like um, jury duty. Where like your division is in charge of overseeing the temple at given points in time, and the rest of the time you're just kind of off. When your division is on, you're on call, and if your lot gets cast, then you actually end up serving in the temple. This could not. Ha- this was like this was the greatest honor that Zechariah could be uh, experiencing at this time. And there are priests who go their entire life without actually ever serving in the temple because their lot was never cast was not a guaranteed thing that this would happen. And so he is in charge of burning incense right outside the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where God's spirit dwells. That's what's going on here. Let's continue. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people to Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make, a ready and, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Something that's important to know, Elijah is a very powerful or very popular pre, uh, prophet from the Old Testament. Uh, so this is saying, if he's in the spirit and power of Elijah, that he's going to be a prophet like Elijah was. That's what's important there. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. See, Zechariah gets it. Zechariah does not say, and my wife is old. He says, and my wife is well along in years. So this is a reasonable question, right? It's like, how? (laughs) How? How? But there's something, I read a commentary that said there's something in the language here that conveys something a bit uh, more intense, a bit more stern. Zechariah is basically saying, prove it. Prove that this is going to happen. He doesn't believe what the angel is saying to him. Now, this is something, like I said, that echoes so many stories of the Old Testament, a, a couple that is barren and also too old to conceive, conceiving. This is something that Zechariah should be intimately familiar with. This is something that Zechariah, we've, we're told, the angel says, we've heard, God heard your prayer and answered it. So this is something that he has been praying for. This is something that should be good news for Zechariah. And he refuses to believe. We're meant to compare this with how Mary reacts to similar news just a few verses later that we looked at last week. Mary is told, though she is a virgin, she will give birth to God incarnate. And Mary, who is just a teenager, says, I am God's servant. May it be unto me as you have said. What Mary is told is far more impossible. She's a virgin. Giving birth to God. What Mary is told is far more dangerous for her. She is an unwed, pregnant, and extremely vulnerable at this point. Yet Mary believes. Zechariah does not. He fails in this moment that his entire life has been building up toward and preparing him for. He blows it. And the angel responds this way The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Zechariah says, prove it. And he says, dude, I'm a freaking angel. I stand before God who sent me here to tell you this. How do you need more proof than what's happening right now? And he says, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So because he did not believe, he is left mute. So John goes back home, unable to speak, and sure enough, Elizabeth soon becomes pregnant, and she eventually gives birth to her son. And when it comes time to name him, eight days after he's born, the priests try to name him after Zechariah, because that's what you do. But Elizabeth insists his name is John, because that's what the angel told him to name his son. And that confuses the priests, again, because... uh, Names were almost always family names. You named someone after your ancestors. You didn't come up with new names. Um, You named people after important people in your family. Uh, So we kind of did a combination of this. We named our daughter Daisy, which is my great-great-grandmother. But then we named our son Apollo, which we've never met anyone else named that name other than people in history. At this time, you would not name your son Apollo (laughs) if you did not have an Apollo in your line. Neither one of them had a John, but Zechariah confirms this little boy's name is John. And instantly, Zechariah is able to speak again. And the first words out of his mouth are this beautiful song that we read, a hopeful song of God's faithfulness and goodness and love. You can imagine, he had a long time to think about what he was going to (laughs) say when he'd be able to speak again. So Zechariah fails in his big moment, refusing to believe what God has been trying to, t- trying to tell him. And that's not the end of his story. I don't know about you, but it is easy for me to feel like my failures define me. How many of us, when we fail, feel like failure is the last word about us? This song is a reminder that, that idea is false. It's a song of second chances for Zechariah who um, didn't believe but is also a song of second chances for all of Israel. Let me show you what I mean by that and this is this is like one of the coolest things that I think <laughs> happens in the Bible. Um, so just bear with me for a minute because I'm going to geek out. So Zechariah is mute right cannot speak. Uh, And his voice doesn't return until his son is born and he names him John. Why is that? To answer that question, we need to go back to the Old Testament, to the very end of the Old Testament, and actually the very last words of the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at uh, the very end of the book of Malachi. Malachi was a prophet. God spoke to Israel through prophets. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament ends with these words from God in Malachi. God says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Again, Elijah was a very powerful and uh, popular prophet from earlier in Israel's history who many people hoped would return one day. Anyway, okay, so this is how the Old Testament ends. It's kind of a cliffhanger. This is the very last thing that God says to the people of Israel, and then there are there's silence for 400 years. No more prophets, no more words from God. Did any of that from Malachi sound familiar? Because it should have. Let's look again back at what the angel says to Zechariah about his soon-to-be-conceived son. The angel says he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. These echo the very last words to Israel, 400 years ago. And John does grow up to be a prophet who calls the people of Israel to repentance and paves the way for Jesus' ministry. He grows up to be a prophet. After 400 years, there's another prophet. So at the birth of John, not only does the voice of Zechariah return, but the voice of God returns to the people through John the prophet. Because the story isn't over yet. People of Israel for the last 400 years have been wondering, is this it? Are we done? God hasn't spoken to us. And then he does. This is a song of second chances. This is a song of unfinished stories for Zechariah, for Israel, and for us. What about you? Can you look back and remember moments of failure in your life? Moments when you thought you blew it. When this failure would define you forever. Forever only to see now, maybe looking back, uh, that that wasn't the end of the story. Maybe being able to look back now and see how God met you and grew you in that experience of failure. Or maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe you're in one of those dark and heavy moments when, you're, when you failed. Um, maybe you did the wrong thing. Or maybe you feel like you're just breaking under the weight of everything that you're holding and trying to manage and trying to take care of. Maybe you're feeling inadequate and unworthy and just plain broken. Maybe you're trying really hard to keep it together and and prevent anyone from seeing the cracks that are starting to form. Maybe it took everything in you just to be here tonight. This song is a reminder that this isn't the end of your story. Zechariah failed and God did not (laughs) abandon him. Israel, time and time again, turned away from God. And God, in response, decided to move closer. The same is true for you. It's not about your performance, your failures, or your successes. It's about God's love for you. You are not defined by what you do, you are defined by the gift of God. And what is that gift? It's drenching in every word of this episode that we just read, Uh, but it's seen most clearly in what is something that we probably all just kind of read over and didn't think much of beyond what I pointed out. Uh, It is seen most clearly in what is to us a common under-the-radar name that the only significance that we immediately saw was, hey, the priests don't like this name John because there's no John in their family. Zechariah and Elizabeth named their son John. If you remember, when we looked at uh, stories of the Old Testament, names in Hebrew culture um, are very literal. They mean very literal things, and they tend to define the people who bear those names. What does John mean? The Hebrew rendering of John means God is gracious. Literally, Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. That's the gift of Christmas. That's the message behind the infinite becoming an infant, which is what John prepared the way for. This gift, God is gracious. You are not defined by what you do. You are defined by God's unequivocal and unconditional love for you, his grace for you. This is not the end of your story. I hope that this song during this season of Advent is a reminder to you to let go of sin and to embrace grace and grow into God, who God created you to be with him. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, your faithfulness. Thank you for these amazing stories that intersect across uh, hundreds and hundreds of years to show us and remind us that you come after us. You don't wait for us to get ourselves cleaned up and put together. You don't wait for us to be perfect. You don't abandon us when we fail. God, you come to us. You meet us where we're at. God, I pray that that truth would would strike us as profound all over again, especially in this season of Advent when we celebrate you coming the closest to us, becoming your own creation so that we could be with you. We love you, God. Amen.